0: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to be along for some more half assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Olga of Kiev. Now, Olga of Kiev is one of the most brutal and bloodthirsty figures in all of history and it's quite incredible that she's not particularly well known because the story that surrounds her life is is just beyond belief exactly how much she uh, crushed her enemies and saw them driven before her. it was it was quite insane. So we're going to get into it today and have a chat about exactly what Olga of Kiev got up to. Now she was born around sometime uh, towards the end of the 9th century. The exact date of this is unknown of course, the record keeping back then didn't exactly have the old, you know, Kievan book of birth, deaths and marriages or anything else like that so we don't know exactly. When, but to, for sure, around the end of, uh, of the 800s, uh, uh, you know, around about that time. So she married a bloke who would later become uh, known as Igor of Kiev, the king of the Kievan Rus. Now, this uh, this is a kingdom uh, through in, throughout uh, Eastern Europe that uh, was was enormously powerful and influential at its peak, but uh, ultimately, well, ultimately was eventually destroyed, as so many things other were, by the Mongols in 1240. Um, of course, this is way, way, way before that. However. So everything that we know about what happened during this uh, this this period of history around the Kievan Rus is based uh, on on a document called the Primary Chronicle. It, it tells the story of of these people, the, this kingdom, uh, and and it's a pretty reliable uh, historical document. Although obviously they they messed up a bunch of stuff along the way, because so you you got to take something with a grain of salt. And it's also it's written like a story. It's not written written like a you know historical textbook because they are just the most boring things on earth. Of course, it's written like like a narrative. So you know they're embellishing stuff all the way along you know they're making stuff up making themselves sound better and, and you know just generally not letting the truth get in the way of a good story but of course you know that is the name of the game with half-assed history so uh, let's get uh, let's get to exactly what was happening during this period that was so well uh, you know well chronicled in this document the primary chronicle so Olga and Igor happily married, no worries at all. White picket fence. Well, no, not white picket fence. Big, big white stone fence around their around their castle because, of course, they are the head honchos in that area, and they have a son who is called Sviatoslav. And uh, after Igor's death. Uh, you know, unfortunately, died at a younger age than you might expect. Um, Olga actually acts as a regent for her young son uh, Sviatoslav and uh, absolutely tears it up as the princess of the Rus, right? Because as as the as the regent, as the de facto leader of this uh, of this kingdom, she is essentially in charge of things while her young son comes of age. So she implements one of the first ever recorded instances of legal reform in Eastern Europe. Um, now this is. Pretty boring, to be honest. The boring stuff that she did was about, you know, collecting taxes and tribute and stuff. But hey, it still counts. This person, uh, this uh, this you know this 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 queen regent, she was the first ever uh, the first ever recorded, as I say, the first ever recorded uh, sort of occurrence of any kind of real legal reform in, in the east of Europe like that. So pretty incredible. But that's that's the boring stuff. Don't don't worry about that because what's really interesting here is the way that she went after the landed elite. She absolutely took no prisoners at all. She went under. She went after the, the the people who were just under her in rank, the as I say, this landed elite of, of the Kievan Rus, and she absolutely wrecked their business. It was unbelievable. These blokes weren't impressed at being ruled by a woman, and I tell you what, she got the cane out of the cupboard and gave them a damn good thrashing with it because she let them know that she was all business all the time. After giving them an absolute hiding and putting them back in their place, essentially, she built these huge, big fortresses around the entire country, uh, throughout to, you know throughout all the land she was ruling there, uh, uh, to keep these idiots in line, essentially, to make sure they weren't going to start any silly buggers, uh, you know, because they obviously they didn't like being ruled by uh, by this woman here, Olga. But quite aside from all of the you know the bloodthirsty sort of campaigning she did uh, against the the, the the nobles who were just under her, one thing that's really interesting and and quite defining about her rule as the uh, as the Queen Regent there was uh, the fact that she evaded every single marriage proposal that was chucked at her. She had so many blokes uh, coming and saying, oh, hey you going, love? You want to go out, grab a beer, whatever else? And she's just like, mate, pack it in, get out of here, not interested, jog on. Um, And... The simple reason for this was she didn't want to compromise her son's future leadership because uh, once uh, Sviatoslav came of age, he didn't want any stepfathers stepping in and saying, "Oh, my son, this," or you know, "my leadership, this," or "my claim, claim the throne," whatever else like that. She wanted to keep a clean ledger so her son could come into uh, into power without you know having to worry any of that about that any of that sort of headaches. Now, this ended up being a very very good choice on her part because uh, Sviatoslav ended up ruling over the largest state in all of europe at the time and absolutely conquered the pants of eastern of the rest of eastern europe it was quite incredible he was quite an incredible leader but a lot of that may have come from you know how incredible his mum was as a leader as well so what um what the most interesting detail about all of these uh, sort of marriage proposals involved however you know because there was obviously quite a lot of them but uh, the, the most interesting one is the proposal that she was offered by a tribe called the Drevlians. Now, the reason that this proposal was so interesting is because it was these pricks who had actually that were the ones who had actually killed her husband. So essentially, what had happened, uh, the, the circumstances surrounding her husband's death, Iga's death, right? He'd rocked up to the Drevlians in 945, and, and he'd said to them, "G'day fellas, hey you going? Look here for the uh, here for the tribute. So it'd be good if I could pick that up. No worries, and then I'll get out of here." And he, and they uh, they respond by saying, "Oh, yeah." Yeah, nah, no worries, mate. Uh, this is the second time you've, you've come around, uh, been around this month looking for tribute. So, uh, you know, we're going to bloody sort you out. I'll tell you what, you, you bastard, right? And they deck him. They just knock him straight to the floor. They knock him on his ass. And then they get two birch trees. This is incredible what they do next. They get two birch trees, obviously very whippy sort of a flexible trees there. And they bend the tops of these trees down all the way to the ground. These trees, you can imagine they're bent over sort of like an, an upside down U, bending all the way back over down to the ground. They tie one of Igor's feet, right, to one tree and then the other feet, the other foot to the other tree. So we've got an unconscious Igor on the ground and having his, his feet tied to each of these birch trees there like that he's doing the splits. Then they let the trees spring back into place and, of course, Igor is ripped in half right up along his back. He is ripped in half and he's, you know, just absolutely bifurcated down the middle just like that. A pretty metal death, to be honest. But, obviously, uh, Igor... Wasn't Well, I was going to say Igor wasn't too impressed by it, but he's dead, so he, he doesn't have anything to say about it. i tell you who wasn't impressed by it is Olga. Olga hears about this, and I'll tell you what, she is absolutely raging. She is so furious that this has happened here. And uh, because at this stage, uh, Sviatoslav is only three. He's only a tiny little boy, really. So she has to preserve the throne for him until he comes of age to, to claim it for himself. And, and you know, this is, is, is quite a task because it's going to be a long time before he uh, he comes into his kingdom. The Drevlians, however, they have another idea. They have other plans about, you know, Sviatoslav ruling over this uh, this whole business here. So they, because they want the thrones for themselves, essentially. They, you know, they, they decide that it's a great idea. Get this. They decide that it is a great idea that after having knocked off this woman's husband to approach her and suggest that she marry their prince, a bloke whose name was Mal, which would then make him the, the leader of, of the of the Kievan Rus rather than, you know, the, the young Sviatoslav when he finally came into his inheritance. They sent. 20 of their smoothest operators to Olga's court in Kiev to persuade her to marry the bloke to who had helped, let's not forget, who had helped to rip her husband in half. Now, I don't know what possessed them into thinking this was going to be a, a savvy political move. I don't know what made them think that this was going to be successful, but this is the uh, the tack that they choose to take. They send off these blokes to a, to court with Olga, and uh, she, as you could expect, is not particularly pleased with it. However, she starts getting very, very sneaky about how to deal with it, and uh, as it's all this is all laid out in the Primary Chronicle, we know exactly what she got up to once they arrived. So these would-be Casanovas. They arrive in and Olga has them round and asks them, you know, well, oh, boys, thanks for the visit. What's going on with you? And and uh, and they say to her, now listen here, mate, your husband, great, uh, great bloke, obviously, bit of a bit of a greedy bastard coming around for that tribute all the time. But look, he, you know, he's dead, he's gone, he's out of here. But our bloke Mal, I'll tell you what, top bloke, dashing as all hell. What do you reckon? And also, he's still alive, so you know, he's, he's just he's ready to go. What do you what do you think, right? And she says, mate absolutely. Sounds ace of spades. I love it. Of course, husband's dead. You know, no use crying over spilt milk. Bugger him. What's the plan? And then they say to her, oh, mate, that's great. Let's go. We can head back to Derev right now and uh, and, and get this marriage, uh, you know, get it going quick smart. And she says, no, 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 mate. I'll tell you what, that's no good. That's no good. We've got to make it into a big spectacle, right? We've got to make it into this big, big thing, you know, we got, we got to, uh, you know, get a, get a real big party, big parade, you know, check this out, check this out. You go back to your boats and I'll invite you to an official reception tomorrow, but instead of walking to the court, like, you know, little dirty peasants, whatever else, I'll tell you this, I'll tell my peasants to actually carry you in your boat up to the, up to the palace, you'll make a big parade, big thing of the whole proposal, the whole ceremony, whatever else like that, because you're, you know, you're all special and honoured and all that sort of stuff, so let's Let's make a big spectacle of it. The Drevlians loving this plan. They're thinking fantastic. Can't believe we've uh, we've bagged this queen here. She's on board. We're going to get the marriage done, and we're all going to have a great time. So they go back to their boats, uh, happy as Larry, obviously like that. Sink a couple of jars. Have a good night singing their songs, having a bit of a party, and looking forward to the m- tomorrow when, of course, they're going to have this big parade carried by these peasants through the town. They think they're you know they they just absolutely absolutely s- struck it rich here. They can't believe their luck. Olga, on the other hand, you can already imagine there's going to be some kind of silly bugger, some kind of chicanery going on here with her. And you can imagine that she's got something up her sleeve. And she does indeed. Because what she does is she orders her servants to dig a huge, huge pit right in the castle hall. Right in the middle of the castle hall, they dig out the floor and they dig in this huge, big pit. Now, next day, sun rises. As you can, well, not, I mean, that's, that's obvious. I didn't need a point. I mean, you don't need a history degree to know that the sun rose on a given day. Anyway, Whatever. The Drevlians, they're summoned. They're summoned by Olga. So she, so the messenger comes down and says, come on, boys, in your boat, off you go. Uh, and they are summoned to the castle exactly as you know, as Olga planned. They uh, they jump in their boats. The Drevlians, are, you know, they're talking to these filthy unwashed peasants. Oh, you blokes, come over here. you got to carry us up to the castle. You carry us in our boat here because, you know, our, our, our prince is about, uh, about to root your queen. So, you know, you blokes, are, uh, you blokes have got to do exactly what we say. We're not going to walk up the castle like you. you get, get over here. Carry, carry this boat up here like that. Now, the, parent, the peasants, they're moaning and groaning as they carry the boat. They're carrying it like a pork chop. And, they, uh, and this is, of course, until they reach the castle. And the Drevlians, they're having a great time. They're, you know, dancing, singing, you know, bloody sinking back the beers, having a good time, whatever else. I can't believe how, how much fun all this is. Again, until they reach the castle. Because once they take the boat inside the castle walls, they take it inside over to where this pit has been dug, and surprise, surprise, the peasants, as they've been told to, they dump this boat straight into at the bottom of the pit they dump it straight down the bottom of the pit there like that and and the, the drivers come up they go oh what's going on here mate what's going on here we just had this big parade you're just dumping in this big hole get us out of this isn't what's going on no this, this is bloody terrible get us out right now olga she loans over the pit and she goes hey do you bloke like uh, do you blokes like apples and they're going what's the wrong with you mate what's wrong with you get us out of this bloody pit you you what, what are you what are you even doing here and she goes well how do you like these apples And after she says this, and I may have made that bit up about her saying that, but all the same, as soon as she says it, all the peasants that are there, they dump all of the dirt that was used to dig the pit, they dump it straight back on top of the boat. So the Drevlians are buried alive in this boat that has been carried up from the water there like that, and they all obviously perish Horrendously just showing you just how brutal Olga was with all of this. Absolutely incredible. Anyway, Olga knows this is gonna kick off a big a big fuss here. So what she does is she sends a message back off to the Dreslian Drevlians. She says Hey, you going blokes? Just had these fellas over here with a marriage proposal. I love it. Don't know what's happened to them. If they don't come back, I don't know anything about it, to be honest. Like, they just sort of left and they didn't say what was going on, so no idea there. Definitely don't suspect me of anything else like that. But I tell you what, well on board with this marriage proposal. I'd love to marry your prince, but I tell you what, if you want me to come back all honoured and everything, don't send these bloody greasy-haired, slimy wankers. you got to send me the princeliest dudes in your entire kingdom, otherwise I'm not going to come, right? And so the Drevlians think, oh, geez, we better get her on side here. We better do what she wants if, she, if she's going to come over and, and marry our prince. So, what they do is they send off a bunch of nobles, right? So, this time they've sent off proper, you know, proper rank, uh, a gentleman of rank there like that to go and uh, go and retrieve her and bring her back all on and whatever else. Now, they arrive in Kiev, and a messenger meets them uh, on their way up to the castle and says, uh, uh, listen here, fellas, you know, you blokes, you're all dirty, you're all, you're all dirty and grubby and whatever else after your journey, and you're probably. You know, tired, your asses are probably sore after being on the saddles all day, whatever else. I'll tell you what, we, we're going to sort you out. And, uh, and then I was go, oh, bloody hell, mate. Jeez, it's been unbelievable, you know. Bloody uh, backs are sore, asses are chapped, uh, bloody, you know, sun in our eyes the whole time, all this dirt and all this muck and everything else like that. It's been terrible. So, yeah, what, what do you got in mind? This sounds great. And the messenger says... No worries, boys. I've uh, got it all sorted. Uh, Olga has had this special bathhouse prepared for you, so you can you blokes can uh, go and clean yourselves up there and uh, and get the uh, yeah get all the dirt washed off and get yourselves all spick and span uh, to meet up with her. So the nobles they're stoked. Obviously they're they're loving it because they don't know Olga is you know. Crafty as anything, and 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 devious, and is about to you know absolutely root them, and and obviously not in a good way either. So they all go into this bathhouse, and they are loving it. It's all warm and nice, and uh, you know they're cleaning themselves off, scrubbing and, and rubbing and whatever else in the tubs. Anyway, one of the blokes he goes, "It's bloody warm in here, eh?" And the others go, "Oh, bloody can it, Daz, you dopey bastard! It's a bathhouse. It's supposed to be warm. What's wrong with you, mate? Come on, just sit back and enjoy it." But I tell you what. Das is bloody right, I'll tell you that much, because the bathhouse is getting pretty bloody... It's getting pretty bloody sweaty in there. It's getting very, very toasty indeed, because what's this? Olga has set fire to the entire bathhouse after having her men lock and bar the doors. So these these nobles, they are cooked, they are boiled and roasted like Christmas turkeys, and that is that. These blokes have come all the way, tricked to this bathhouse, and they are cooked alive in the bath. Quite Just again, Olga is very clearly showing she is not here to make friends. She is not mucking around one little bit with any of this. So after these nobles have arrived, Olga sends off another message off to the Drevlians and she says, alright you blokes, strap yourselves in, but you lucky bastards, because I'm on my way to marry your prince. First, however, I need to weep over that uh, that stupid idiot who was my previous husband, obviously, and, and have a bit of a feast for him. So get a, uh, get a bunch of mead and honey and all that sort of stuff ready and we'll have a big feast and then that'll be that uh, done and dusted. So the Drevlians, not knowing that she has murdered every single one of the blokes that they had sent beforehand, they get all the stuff ready for Olga to arrive. Now she rocks up with her honour guard and the drevlians ask well uh, hang on mate where uh where are all the other blokes that she sent and olga goes mate mate calm down calm down they're on their way they're caught in traffic or something i don't know what, what, i'm not their dad i don't know where they are what are, you, what are you asking me for right and olga goes she visits her husband's grave obviously because he has been buried over there near the drevlians and she cries and has a terrible time all that sort of stuff and she gets it all out all the grief whatever else <clears throat> and then she stands up and says all right enough of that wimpy uh, <clears throat> Enough of that wimpy rubbish. That's enough of that. Time to have a feast, fellas. Let's get into it. So the Drevlians they sit down to feast and celebrate, and Olga orders the retinue that she'd uh, brought to wait on the Drevlians while they uh, while they got absolutely they got just as drunk as lords, right? So she's getting her blokes to wait on them hand and foot, which of course they are loving. The Drevlians going, oh, this is fantastic! Can't believe that uh, we you know we've we've done such a good job of, of completely bringing this uh, this chick on side. But of course. Once the Drevlians were properly sourced, once they really, really, you know, three sheets to the wind, they are just, I mean, well, you can imagine, twist ending coming up, bloody M. Night Shyamala, bloody ding-dong ending coming your way here, because you're never going to believe what Olga does. These dumb idiots who have been, who have whacked back the jars, put you know, well and truly uh, got themselves absolutely rolling drunk, they get put to the sword very, very quickly and mercilessly by Olga's guards. They killed Five thousand of these uh, of these Trevelians, five thousand people murdered by the Honour Guard that Olga had brought, who of course were spread out amongst all of the merrymakers, uh, you know, pretending to wait on them, but then obviously just sticking the sword through them as, as soon as they were, as soon as the order was given. So after this, after this absolute massacre, this absolute bloodbath that Olga has perpetrated here. She gets ready to uh, to head back to Kiev because she knows that the, the jig is up, the Drevlians are on the ropes here. She's going to go and get an army to really absolutely put one through them good and proper. She's not going to let them, uh, you know, sort of uh, just uh, limp away and lick their wounds. She's going to really, really teach them a stern lesson about how things, uh, how things work out from here. Now, the Drevlians, they beg for mercy. They say, Olga, mate, chop us out of favour here and just let up. We'll send you furs and honey and whatever you want for tribute. Just seriously, just let us go because, you know, we, we, you, you've made your point. We really shouldn't have killed your husband. We, we do get it. After all this, we, we actually do get it. And she goes, nah, all right, boys, no worries. It's all good. Eh? Don't even worry about it. I know I really wrecked you, you know, wrecked all your business over there. So you can't afford anything anyway. Don't even worry about a tribute. Tell you what. If you just get every single drivelian to go up and take three pigeons and three sparrows from the eaves of their houses and give them to me, that'll be a sign of submission. You know, that'll be enough of a tribute for me to just sort of, you know, forgive you for for all the all the stuff that you've done in the past. Don't even worry about it. And the Drevlians go, oh, jeez, mate, you know what? Thanks so much. No worries at all. We'll sort that out quick, smart. Don't even worry about it. And uh, and they do it. As weird as this is, they do it because obviously they're thick as two planks of wood and don't realise that uh, this is another one of Olga's uh, classic gags coming up. It's it's prank patrol with, uh, with Olga here because she's going to, uh, once again, absolutely uh, bamboozle them with what she does next. Olga snags all of these birds and she says, Okay, fellas, all oh, good, no worries, I'm back off to Kiev now. Catches later, and uh and and thanks very much for the feast. Had a great time. Hope you did, you yeah, hope you boys did too. Now she tells her guards to tie bits of burning sulphur to all of the birds' legs once the, once they've sort of gone away a little bit. So these birds have little fires attached to all of them, and then of course they are released. And the sparrows and pigeons fly terrified, you know, out of their minds because they're carrying around fire back to the eaves of the houses that they lived in, and of course what they do there is set the houses on fire, and entire towns and villages are burnt to ash, because of course, you know, the entire population of the Drevlians having sent them these birds or whatever else like that, all of the houses, uh, after having been burnt to the ground, there's nothing left, there is nothing left, and as all the people flee, her her, her guards are there to capture them, they're like that, and uh, as a result of this of course, Olga, after having taken all these prisoners, just murders a bunch of them just murders a whole, whole stack of these prisoners and then leaves the rest to clean up the mess and, much more importantly, work on the next time they would have to pay her her tribute. This woman did not muck around. Unbelievable. Now of course all of this happened at the very beginning of Olga's rule, and uh, from that point onwards, I mean, it's fair to say she did calm down a fair bit, and we didn't have any sort of you know huge big bloodbaths just like that. But uh, she did do a bunch of other stuff even after uh, Sviatoslav took power when he came of age. Now I couldn't find out find out exactly how old uh, he was when when that took place, Uh, but then again I I didn't really look particularly hard for that. But uh, uh, Sviatoslav wasn't actually in Kiev very much at all because uh, he was always off you know conquering and 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 doing all that sort of stuff like that. So Olga and Instead, she took care of stuff at home. She was, uh, you know, the the, the stay-at-home queen, uh, taking care of things uh, on the home front. Now, as I mentioned, she reformed the, the tribute system. I, t- I talked about how all of that, you know, was was represented, one of the important early legal reforms in Eastern Europe, um, and, and established essentially what was the first tax code in that part of the world as well. But uh, perhaps after seeing, you know, what happens when you build things out of wood, how easy it is for it to all burn down, Olga is actually generally credited with having built the first ever stone building in Kiev as well as in Novgorod as well so she did have a fair influence on on even stuff you know like architecture moving forward but after this whole episode, after this, all of this, this bloodthirsty, uh, you know, killing and, and massacring, Olga converted to uh, to Christianity in either nine uh, nine forty five, which was the year of, uh, or, or nine fifty seven, a couple of uh, of years later. And I have no idea how those numbers got mixed up, but every source that I saw actually said that it either happened in one of those two uh, years, which is interesting because you know those those numbers aren't exactly next to each other on the keyboard, or you know even difficult to to mix up for one another. So I don't know how the scribes back then managed to make that. Mistake snake, but in any case, either 945 or 957. And she was the first Christian leader of the Kievan Rus. Now, even though Sviatoslav ended up remaining a pagan until he died, his son, Olga's grandson, Vladimir uh, Vladimir I, actually, was Christian and ended up making it the state religion. So she, she kicked off, or helped to kick off at least, the the spread of Christianity throughout this area, the Kievan Rus, and, and indeed throughout Eastern Europe uh, more generally. So she was a, te- a teacher and a mentor for Vladimir I, her grandson, uh, right up until she died in in 969 and uh, after all of this she was actually canonized so she is she's a she's a saint uh, for helping to spread christianity to eastern europe and has one of the weirdest saint names as a result she's one of the weirdest i mean they've, they've certainly got some weird ones floating around but Olga is one of the weirdest it's saint holy equal to the apostles olga which actually isn't too bad a title really when you think about it for someone who uh, butchered thousands and and murdered entire populations of cities But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Olga of Kiev and, of course, the bloodthirsty butchery she perpetrated in response to her husband being murdered by the Drevlians. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again for another episode of Half-Arsed History. If you want to find out any more about the show, you can jump on our website, halfasthistory.net, of course, and it's there that you can send us an email, halfasthistory at gmail.com. It's always good to hear from, from you. So do get in touch if you've got anything you want to add, especially any ideas for uh, for a future topic or something like that. As ever, leaving you with a, uh, something to think about here, a question adapted from uh, something that uh, Reddit historian Karen Filov posted. Obviously, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, these, this, during this ancient time, a lot of the buildings that were built, and we talked about how Ol- Olga of Kiev was uh, uh, amongst the first to start building these stone buildings in that area. And obviously, the ruins that are left over from that, uh, that region are still with us today. And it, it sort of it, 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 you know, prompts the question, why did these people back then only build ruins?